0: Well, you have always been a beautiful sight to me. And that hasn't changed this morning. Sight for sore eyes. The last time I stood here and preached, my text was, He whom thou lovest is sick. And uh, when I heard the news about Bob... And I realized it was serious news. For about a week, I was struck with a a debilitating sorrow that caused me not to be able to do anything for days except say, Lord, He whom Thou lovest is sick And uh, we still need Him. Surely, and for those days, it has been for at least for me, um, just facing the reality that God is... Our Lord will either lovingly, graciously, powerfully heal Him and extend His life for years because... The kingdom still needs Him. The saints still need Him. We still need Him. Or, God will graciously and lovingly let Bob know the far greater gain of eternal glory. Either way, Bob wins. And... um This is the first time it's ever been hard, hard for me to stand here. And it's the first time I can remember that I haven't known what to say. And I haven't known what to preach. This morning at 3.30, I was on my knees praying for Bob. And uh, a passage came to my mind. And I've jotted some thoughts down. So I want you to look at that with me in Second Corinthians five. The first nine verses of Second Corinthians five, whether it is a resurrection of health and life that God gives, or whether it is an eternal weight of glory that He will know through this. Whichever the case may be, our need is an eternal perspective. Our need is to not look at things that are seen, but to look at things that are unseen. And Paul gives us that here when he says, for we know that if the tent, which is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked, for while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So, we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in this body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and present with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. Paul here is obviously speaking about this earthly body we live in. He calls it a tent. It's a tabernacle. It's a temporary dwelling place. It's an earthly apartment rental that the real person's in for a little while. I'm not going to stay there. We're on a journey. And uh, Paul brings us in these nine verses hard, sobering reality that in such times we must face we must not bury our head in the sands. We must not think, well, if we face the greater realities of this tent decaying and and going back to the dust, if we face the reality of death like we have to, then it means we're doubting God's healing power. It means we're not trusting Him for life. It means that we're not Believing Him to to heal if, if He's pleased to. And that is absolutely false. It is right to both cry out to God for life and for extension of life and for mercy because how often has He done that over history? How often in the Bible? How often in history? How often among those that we've known and loved... Has God given life when there could have been, should have been death? Some of you should have been dead already. And He's extended life. He's, He's answered because He's gracious and He's good. And so, we cry for that. We, we pray for that. We hope for that. And it's right to do so. And at the same time, it is not unbelief or doubt or giving up hope to face the greater reality that, as Paul says in verse 1, this earthly tent, this earthly home, is dissolving. Do you ever say that about yourself? This earthly body is dissolving. Those of you who are 70, 65, 60, you feel it. You know it. You experience it. You're 20, you're 15, you're 25. You don't. Unless you've ever been sick. Your day's coming. The outward man, Paul says, is perishing. This earthly tent we live in, verse 1, he tells us, is decaying. It's dying. All of us, our body, is dying already. We are all terminal. And we don't like to think about it. We don't like to face it. The non-Christian can't face it. Can't deal with it. Cannot handle it. Ignores it. Doesn't like to think about it. It's too morbid. It's too much reality. And yet Paul tells us this, our earthly home, is being destroyed. It is a shedding of our mortal coil, our earthly tabernacle, this this putting off, this laying aside, this shutting down, this dying of this outer man. It's an earth suit. That's all it is. It's an earth suit. You buy a suit, it's so nice and clean and... and just brand new. And then a year, five years, ten years. The cuffs have strings hanging out. And the seat of the pants is worn. And a button comes off. That that suit is just getting old. We're an earth suit. This is an earth suit. And it wears out. This temporary tent this earthly short-term house of this physical body. Every one of us are going to shed this mortal coil. A young man in Hannibal, 16 years old, recently started losing weight. 5 pounds, 10 pounds, 20 pounds, 25 pounds in a month. Started bleeding. And he was healthy And now he's in the Columbia Hospital. His body is going. Why? They don't know. Every one of us. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, this perishable body will be sown back to the earth. In what? In weakness. Every power lifter, every professional football player, every star athlete, every all-star basketball player, their bodies, if they don't die in a plane crash or a car accident or a heart attack, their bodies will become dying flab where they won't be able to feed themselves. This perishable body is sown back to the earth in weakness. It's sown to the dust, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, because it is what? It is dust. So, Paul's perspective when we have to face this reality is first to remind us of the sobering, hard news which is right to face and deal with because we'll get grace from our Lord for it, that the Christian's earthly tent is decaying. But then he goes on and he says something that is hopeful in verse 1 also. Look at it there. He says, For we know that if the tent which is our earthly home is destroyed, is decaying, is destroyed, What? We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So though the Christian's earthly tent is decaying, the second point Paul gives us is that we have a heavenly one awaiting us. Some of us, when we get our glorified body, will actually be attractive. Some of us will be worth looking at. I'm speaking autobiographically, of course. We have a heavenly body awaiting us. A heavenly body. Every Christian's body will be raised instantly then and supernaturally brought back together and instantly changed, made like unto his glorious body. A heavenly body. No cancer then. No arthritis then. No wrinkles then. No aging then. No pains then. No gallbladder surgery then. Nothing. Nothing. What a glorious hope that is. This heavenly body and a home an abiding place that we'll dwell in. Maybe not a mansion like the King James translates it. No. The old song, I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. Well, probably not. But an abiding place, eternal in the heavens, is yours, reserved for you. Christ has been, has been building these for, since He's gone back there. This tent we put off here on earth to put on another. This is the hope. This is what you have to look forward to. Our soul is unclothed when the body is removed, only to be clothed again with a heavenly body. What is sown is perishable, but it's raised imperishable. It's sown in weakness, Paul says. It's raised in power. What the Christian has awaiting them is far, far superior to what they've laid down here on earth. We have a heavenly body awaiting us. Paul says in verse 1, but... We aren't there yet. That's future. It's coming. It's the finale. It's the last picture show. It's the last movie. It's the last scene when we will be there. But for now, Paul says, look at verse 2. He says, in this tent we what? Grown. Grown. For now, the Christian groans. Verse 2, In this tent we groan. Verse 4, While we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened. So until then, and when this tent begins to shut down, until it's sown in the dust, we groan. We are burdened. And the longer that you live... The more life brings that, sorrows come. Losses come. We hurt. We ache. We have pain. We get sick. We decay. Like a new car, we begin to rust. We even lose body parts. Some replaceable. Some not. And the new model, this body that we got when we arrived in this world, begins to become a drain on us. Our outer man begins to waste away. And with it all, come the groans. Groans about those we love who are suffering. Groans for ourselves. groan for others. We care about the pains, the sorrows, the grief, the the overwhelming sadness that is on us like a cloud that we can't escape. We have to pray through. We have to live with. We have to deal with woundedness, heartaches, body aches. All of life, even for the Christian, is burdens and groanings and tears. Look back in chapter 4 with me if you would. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7 and following. Paul pictures this, this atmosphere of groaning, this earthly realm of burden, this playing field of living that's not a fantasy world. It's not like a movie. It's reality. He says, but we have this treasure in vessels of clay, jars of clay, to show the surpassing Power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the dying of Jesus we're burdened and we groan. This is our reality. We must face it. Clint and I were talking about how do we deal with feelings of despair, overwhelming sadness, sorrows that grip you and won't let go, and you you have to keep living, but it it seems like it's it's there and it won't leave. Well, what you do is, you cause your heart to look up and say, what is the truth I must believe here? What must I see in this? What does my loving Father have for us and me in this. And then you come to verse 4 and you see such an answer. You live through this sorrow and this groaning and this burden and you realize that you cannot avoid it. You must go through it. And God will bring you through it. And he says in verse 4, Of chapter 5. For while we're still in this tent, we groan being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. That last phrase. The mortal will be swallowed up by what? By life. For the Christian... The groans and burdens are not the end of the story. They're temporary. They're passing. Like the flu, like a cold, it will pass. Like the heat of the day will pass into the evening and cool will come. Like the heat of the summer, guess what? September and October's coming. For the Christian, the groans and burdens are swallowed up. This mortal life is swallowed up not by groaning and sorrows and loss and pain, but by life and victory and hope. Life and the victory over the grave and the victory over sin and the victory over disease, the victory that has been given to every believer will swallow up every pain and every sorrow and every heartache, and every grief. Death will turn into life. Death will be swallowed up by victorious life. To the Christian, the Christian, think of this, the Christian never experiences death. The Christian never dies. Their body will shut down however it happens, and they will go to sleep and they won't even have any moment in that sleep. They awake in perfection and in paradise. Never die. Never die. The Christian says when he wakes up in eternity, that's death. That's all it was? That's what I was afraid of? Are you kidding me? That's what I was dreading? I thought it would be big. I thought it would be uncrossable. I thought I'd be unable to face it. What was I thinking? That's what the Christian experiences when they cross over. It was like it was like lying down to rest and awakening in an unbelievable. Ecstasy and beauty. It was like taking off a dirty shirt and putting on a new one. No big deal. That's what the Christian will experience in death. And the Bible tells us it's far better. And Paul even had this warped, this divine warped mindset that he looked forward to it. No stink. There's no sting in it for the Christian. There's no difficulty. Nothing but a little crossing of a stream to a land that is fairer than day. Because death was swallowed up by life. Life, life, eternal life. Jesus alone is the giver. And that hymn says, There all those wide, extended plains shines one eternal day. There God the Son forever reigns and scatters night away. Death will be swallowed up by life. And then Paul tells us, look at verse 6. If that's true, if we believe that, if we know that's our destination, if we know that yes, we groan, we're burdened, there's heartache, there's sadness, when our cells face it are those we deeply love. Listen, I love Bob Jennings from the day I saw him. I remember sitting in that little mobile home in Kirksville, Missouri. And he and Terry said, Do you think we should move to Sedalia? I said, brother, those are dear people down there. Go for it. There's never, a, there's never been a Christian. There's never been a man that I've loved more than I love him. And the great joy is, if God gives life, it will be joy. If God gives an interest into glory, it will be exceeding, exceeding joy and eternal way to glory for Him. But Paul says in verse 6, whichever the case may be, notice what he says in verse 6. Because these things are true we are always of good courage. Does He mean we're always strong or we're always courageous? No. He means in the face of it, you take courage. And that's what you're to do. Beloved, if your hearts are fearful, take courage. That's what we're to do. Always, Paul says, be of good courage. In living, take courage. In dying, take courage. When I was in the hospital in Dallas six years ago. And they told me I was going to have open-heart surgery and it was such a surprise. I lay there in that bed that night overwhelmed with fear. I was scared. I was very scared. I was very, very weak. And I said, Lord Jesus, You know how scared I am. You know how weak I am. Give me courage. And you know what? He came in that hospital room and He just poured courage on me. And I knew I was, going to, I was going to be fine. I didn't know I was going to live, but I knew I had courage to face it. And I knew I could go there in faith and at rest in His arms. And He carried me through. Joshua 1, 5 and 6. God says to Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, Be of good courage. He says in verse 7, Be strong and courageous. He says in verse 9 of Joshua 1, Have not I commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you. Psalm 31.24 says to us, Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait on the Lord. Acts 23, 11 says, The following night the Lord stood by Paul and said, Take courage. Paul's shipwreck, Acts 27, Paul said to those aboard, Now I urge you to take heart. So take heart, brethren. And I want you to see Paul's words in Philippians 1, verse 20. Look at it with me there. Philippians 1 verse 20, where he addresses this, his own crossroads of, am I going to live or am I going to depart and be with Christ? I'm at a crossroads. How do I view this? How should I feel? He tells us here, Philippians 1 verse 20, when he says, that is, as it is my eager expectation that I, and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. But that with full what? Courage. Now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Because for me to live is what? Christ. And to die is gain. Paul says about life or about death back in 2 Corinthians five eight, yes, we will be of good courage. Why courage? Because we're weak. Because we're scared. Because we are facing ground that we've never walked on before. We're facing territory we've never experienced before. And the giants seem to be Intimidating? Why courage? Because Christ and the Christian, the Christian is the only one, the only one in on the earth who can stare sickness and death and loss and the grave in the face and say to it, O grave, where is your victory? You're a loser. Oh, death, Where is your sting? Your stinger has been pulled out. You can't hurt me. The Christian knows that and says that and feels that. And only the Christian does. William Cowper said, ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds which you now dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessing on your head. Paul said the Christian is sorrowing and yet rejoicing. And we can sorrow. And it's right to sorrow. It's right to have the tears. It's right to feel the weakness. It's right to feel the weight of the burden and the groans. It's wrong to stay there. It's wrong to not look up. It's wrong to not take courage. Martin Lloyd-Jones, when he was dying of cancer, in his final days, he wanted to be lucid. He wanted to, to know God's grace. He wanted to be able to, to some extent, communicate with his family. And so, he, the doc, his doctors wanted to keep getting, giving him pain medication, and he would refuse it. And finally the doctor got frustrated with him and said, doctor, it just makes me, it's hard for me to see you just hurting and in pain and suffering and sad. Well, that last word Lloyd Jones couldn't take. It had been hard for him to speak, but he, he blurted out, not sad. The Christian isn't sad no matter what we face. We're not sad because of what verse 9 says. Look at it. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 9. Paul shows us the great motive and reality and purpose of living Whether we are at home, whether we live, whether we remain, or whether we are away, whether we depart and go to be with Christ. Whether at home or away, we make it our aim to what? To please Him. That's all that matters in life. Keith Green died at 28. Leonard Ravenhill died at 87 both of them had one aim, to please Christ. It's not the length of life. It's if you please Christ. It's the aim and goal and purpose and longing and focus of your life that I may please Christ. Whether I live long or whether the Lord takes me in His kindness and in His sovereignty, I make it my aim to please Christ. That's it. Whether life, I want to please Him. Whether I'm healed, I want to please Him. Whether in sickness or death, I want to please Him. Because to live is Christ. Paul said in the first Corinthian epistle, he said whether we live, we live unto the Lord. Whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live or die, it's Christ who is our life. I want to say a word to anybody here who's not a Christian. you know you are, you know you aren't you or you don't know for sure but but this issue of death and eternity isn't settled with you, and you think about the context of this Paul talking about those who die in Christ and those. Who won't? And you, you face and you experience the mortality of those you love. So to those this morning who aren't believers here, and you know the Gospel, and you've heard it, and you hear it, but so far you've rejected it. You've procrastinated. You have delayed. You've neglected. You've heard His voice. And yet, you've gone away continuing to not take heed to that voice. Here's a question for you. Your loved one who's a believer, a father, a mother, a brother, a sister, They're heaven bound. Why not you? Would you let them go to heaven without you? Would you perish and they'll live forever? Would you send them on to heaven and you not follow? Will you let them take Christ and you will choose eternal darkness? For the Christian, John Wesley said, our people die well. Jacob, when dying, Hebrews 11 says, Blessed his sons, and he worshiped. You know, you can die well as well as, the Christian dies well as, well as lives well. Jacob, when dying, he worshiped. Joseph, when dying, gave direction concerning his bones. To the end, when dying, he was leading, he was guiding, he was being who God wanted him to be. Dying well. Well, then what shall we do as we are in this experience of praying and longing and trusting God and looking to Him and hoping Here's what we're to do. Number one, we're to continue to pray for life and healing. We are also to pray for abundant grace to be given to us. For help, for courage. Lord, give me Your perspective in this. Send courage to my weak heart. Cause me to to see things according to Your viewpoint. Secondly, we are to look at the unseen, eternal realities more than the temporal, physical ones. Do you do that? Do you live with the realities that are eternal and unseen before your mind more than looking at earthly passing things. Paul says, while we look not at that which is earthly, but that which is unseen and eternal. That's what we must do. Because it is an eternal perspective. It is a heart filled with grace and the love of Christ and the grace of courage that He will infuse, it's that that will cause us to walk in victory regardless of what our gracious Heavenly Father does. And then thirdly, we should not only pray for life and healing, And for abundant grace and courage. And keep looking at the unseen eternal realities. But thirdly, we must prepare our hearts for God's loving and good and perfect and wise will. Whatever that may be. His will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He is too good to take from us what we truly need. He's too wise to make a mistake. He's too loving to forsake us and do us wrong. Can we trust God? Can we look to Him? Can we realize, Lord, this earthly tent is all it is. We are passing all of us on soon in this short and uncertain pilgrimage we're on. We're all passing on and we'll lay lay this thing aside for a glorious future of eternity if... We are Christ and He is ours. Let's pray right now. Father, I pray that our hearts would be strengthened with grace, that our minds would be renewed with hope and encouragement. That you would pour into us courage and we would take it. That we would look at not at things that are seen, but things that are unseen. We say, Lord, often in these. Situations we don't know how to pray because we don't know your mind or your will. We're not here, Lord Jesus, to give you advice, we're not here to give you our interpretation of the situation or to counsel you. But we do come today. Asking, Lord, would You give life? Would You visit this situation gloriously? Would You display Your glory in such a wonderful way that there's great joy and that the power and the grace and the reality of God in Jesus Christ would far overshadow earthly things. And would You let joy and courage swallow up passing sorrows. Lord, I pray for my dear brothers and sisters here that great grace would be on them And that you would be more real and more precious than any earthly person to them. And Lord, as Wesley prayed when he died, best of all, God is with us. You're with Bob and Terry. You're with their dear, dear children. You're with the saints. You're with the flock. You're with Your people. Best of all, God is with us. Thank You so much. Blessed be Your glorious, victorious, eternal name. That Lord, before long, all of us who know You will be with You forever. Forever and ever and ever. Never to die. Thank You for that sure and certain hope. Blessed be Your name. Amen.